as long as you get the right raw materials, skills can be trained so much more than we think they can be. But it is so difficult to change people's values and culture and what, what internally drives them. You're listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. I'm Steve Gordon. For the first five years, this podcast was known as the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. The episode you're about to hear uses that name, but don't worry, you're in the right place. Same great content, new name. Enjoy. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon. And let me tell you, we got a dynamic interview for you today. I'm very excited about it. Uh, We've had this on the calendar for a little while, and and, uh, I've been looking forward to today because we're going to talk about a topic that I think, gosh, just about every entrepreneur that I come across struggles with at one time or another. And that's how to build a leadership team around you, but not just any leadership team, build that trusted leadership team that can manage themselves, that can manage the business um, and really free you up. And to me, that's that's the essential ingredient to get to the next level. So I'm talking today with uh, Richard Shaw. He is the founder of the Unleashed CEO. So we have the Unleashed CEO on the Unstoppable CEO podcast. Um, and if you don't know Richard, he has been through this before, uh, started two businesses, they nearly killed him, um, and then he went to make it his mission to go solve this problem for other entrepreneurs so that they don't have to go through these same struggles. Um, and as I said, he co-founded the Unleashed CEO. They help visionary entrepreneurs scale and create time freedom by going out and recruiting and training a self-managing leadership team. They've got a really great process for it. And uh, he says they're guaranteed to free you up, uh, free up 30 hours a week for you. uh, So you can focus time on visionary stuff, growing the business, where you want to take things, spending time with your family, doing all that great stuff. So uh, I'm really, really excited to have him here. Uh, Richard, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO. Man, it's such a pleasure, Steve, to be here. Yeah, so... um, Gosh, this is an important conversation, isn't it? This is uh, this is a big deal. What people go through. How did you get to the point where you're like the expert in helping business owners build this leadership team? Yeah, man. Uh, lots of pa- personal pain um, would be my answer to that. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, there's an old saying that I grew up hearing from my parents who were very spiritual, but it's it, it it's sort of applicable here, where it's like. They used to say, you know, whatever kind of happens to you happens through you, right? And so um, there's this interesting dynamic when you have something that really marks your life, even if it's really bad, really traumatic, where you're like, man, nobody else should have to go through that alone. Nobody else should have to go through that. And, 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 you know, have it be as crappy as it was for me, there's got to be a shortcut here that I could help people avoid some of that. And so I think, man, for me, it, it really does come out of that. And, and as you mentioned, you know, I, I literally remember the day, man, where I walked into my, you know, my home, I avoided my, my wife, um, slipped into a spare room in our home and curled up in a fetal position in the corner and cried out to God for help. Um, and literally at the time I was running, you know, two on paper, very successful businesses that were growing and expanding. And uh, we had angel investors and millions of dollars pouring into you know expansion and development. And uh, I literally thought I was going to die. Um, I, uh, I, I was having all sorts of kind of weird health issues pop up. Uh, we had um, angel investors who were threatening to pull out, uh, which would have just 
kind of been really disastrous for the projects we were in the middle of. Uh, we had leaders and managers within our company literally just quit and not even tell us, like walk away, cut off communication, stop talking to us. We had no idea it was coming. We we're blindsided. Uh, we had a, a storm roll through that did multiple six figures in damage to properties that we own that the insurance company was denying the claims for. Uh, we got defrauded by the state government. Uh, we were being actively sued by a former partner. It was crazy. It was just a total mess. And so at the time, <laughs> that's kind of where I, I found myself. And really, man, at the end of the day, as I look back on that period, thank God, like we got out of that, right? And we, you know, brought the business into the black and turned things around, thanks to some great mentors and advisors in my life. But when I reflect back on that season, two key things stand out to me. And one is that, that I was a textbook entrepreneur who was great at sales and marketing. But the bigger my business grew, the more my, my skills started to become... They, they started to become insufficient for what the business actually needed to scale. Um, so I was great at things like selling and marketing and people and relationships. But what I wasn't great at was financial management, people management, communication, delegation, uh, project management, uh, the the day to day details and logistics of the company, and I didn't know any other way other than just to bravado entrepreneur just do it right. The Nike model, the Nike model of of entrepreneurship. Even though I wasn't that good at it, and I hated it, and I watch entrepreneurs go through that, and I'm like, man, I <laughs> if there's one thing I could I could look at in entrepreneurship today and combat is that you know what got you here won't get you there. Like that's the first thing that I take away from that season. So like what made us successful in the beginning with those two businesses, good salesmanship, ability to go to market, you know, passion, drive, all the things that make entrepreneurs great. When you reach a certain level of scale, the things that got you here won't get you there. And I see so many entrepreneurs who get really frustrated at the fact that they're stuck and they just keep trying to do the same thing, right? They keep trying to do the same thing over and over. Well, a different skill set is needed and it might not even be your skill set. So some entrepreneurs I talk to, I'm literally like, you're not the problem. You're just not the solution, right? And, and they're like, well, I'm the problem. Well, no, you're not the problem. You're just not the solution. You just don't have the requisite skill sets that your company needs at the stage that you're at. And, uh, and so that's kind of the first thing. What got you here won't get you there. And then the second thing is just, I think that um, I think entrepreneurship is, is super lonely and super isolating. And so I just have a, I have a huge passion for seeing entrepreneurs actually not do business alone, like actually do business as a team and get people around them that they actually trust and like. And, and, and then actually the business is no longer about you. It's about a mission that a group of great people are, 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 are going after together. And um, I can tell you for a fact, having done business both ways, the second one is so much better. <laughs> it's just so much better. So I, I won't claim to be an expert in all things business. I don't have you know every experience under the sun, but what I do have is the the experience of doing business as kind of a, a a solo leader at the top, managing a bunch of little hands, and then I have experience doing business leading high performing self managing leadership teams. And then the second one is so much better, <laughs> so much better. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and uh, I, I've been through both as well. So tell me, how do you define this idea of a of self-managing leadership team? So when you're when you're talking to a client who maybe 
hasn't wrapped their head around that concept yet. They haven't mm. figured out how to do it. How do you explain to them what it's like? Mm. That's so good, man. Um, so I think there's kind of like two parts to this. There's the philosophy, which I would say is more at 30,000 feet. And then there's the mechanics of like what roles and how do they work and who does what and how do you hire them and all that. So from a philosophy standpoint, I think the idea of a, a leadership team um, comes back to you know a single transition in business, right? And the transition is from entrepreneur to CEO, right? From entrepreneur to CEO. And the two roles are actually more similar than people think but they're very different in their focus. So as an entrepreneur, you're trying to prove a concept in a business model. You're trying to establish a business model that is scalable and profitable and a client base that will continually pay you using that business model. Okay. Once you've cracked the code on that, typically anywhere between 500 to a couple million in revenue, uh, annual revenues, your job as an entrepreneur is done. And whether you like it or not, your business needs a CEO. And the role of a CEO is to actually now get all of that done without you as the entrepreneur doing it. To, to build and assemble a team and a machine that makes that happen consistently, consistently grows that thing. And so it, it, I think it's one of the hardest transitions in business to make, to be honest, Steve. Because like entrepreneurs, their businesses are their babies. You know what I mean? They they birthed this thing. And so there's a sense of pride and ownership and even identity that comes from like, oh, this is my company, right? Well, yes, it is your company. But at a certain point, it can only grow so long as it's your company, right? And it's about you. At some point, it has to actually become its own thing. Just like a baby leaves the mom and dad's house and that's healthy. It's healthy at a certain point for you to kind of go, this isn't my thing. This is its own thing. And now for a season, I'm going to play the role of CEO, which I may not even play forever. And my job as the CEO is not to do everything and be chief everything officer. My job is to actually assemble a cohesive leadership team and management team that can actually take this company to its full potential. And so I think that's like the philosophy uh, that, that I would mostly describe it as making that transition from entrepreneur to CEO and then you just start somewhere. So this is where we get more into the mechanics. But it's like, well, what does building a leadership team look like? Well, you start with the first one. <laughs> you start with hiring someone other than you whose job is to actually think and work on your business, not just do the work. And uh, a great you know, first step for a lot of companies is a lot of entrepreneurs is what I call the executive administrator. Notice the term executive is in there, right? Because they're the first kind of tier of most executive teams. It's the person who owns all of the administrative functions of the company, which most entrepreneurs are not that great at those anyways in the first place. And, uh, and that's somebody who can own all the administrative functions of everything that you're doing and, and, and really supports the, the C-suite team in doing that. This is oftentimes what I found is one of the biggest and most simple breakthroughs that a 500 to $2 million business can make. You can literally double the capacity of the leadership team just by adding someone into the mix who's a high-level thinker and executor who can handle everything administratively for the company. It's a game changer. I've literally seen companies double and triple by adding this one role. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, and the CEO ends up spending a lot more of their time and energy on things they actually love and are good at. And, and then, you know, from there, you know, somebody might go, well, I already have that. Okay, cool. Well, you know, 
then you really have to start to identify what's the next bottleneck. So, you know, I've actually got a pyramid on this, but oftentimes the first bottleneck is an administrative bottleneck. The second bottleneck is an operational bottleneck, which many times you need a great COO, operations manager, you know, whatever term you kind of want to use for that. Somebody who can come in and really systemize your operations, really get that thing, a well-oiled machine that's just consistent, boom, boom, boom. Clients are happy. They're raving fans. They, they consistently refer you, that sort of thing, right? And then the next bottleneck, typically after an operational bottleneck, it, depending on the company, can either be a management bottleneck, um, which oftentimes requires some sort of a general manager, integrator, president, whatever you want to call it, or depending on your business model, may actually be more of a financial bottleneck, which is more the CFO, uh, you know, kind of role of of overseeing that. That that bottleneck hits a little bit differently depending on what type of company you are. So that one's a little tricky. And then the last and final one is kind of more the sales and marketing function. But most entrepreneurs don't need to delegate that when they're under ten to fifteen million because they love doing that stuff. It's just good. they're good at it. They love doing it. It's not a huge energy drain. And if they had the time to focus on it, they could really make some stuff happen. So, yeah. I, well, I I love where you started with that. Um, I always think that getting that administrative stuff taken care of and off your plate—that's like the first and best investment that you can make mm. as an entrepreneur. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, I'm sure you're in, you know, some entrepreneurial groups some masterminds, things like that. I have been and am. And so often I'll hear somebody who is starting to have growth and they'll say, you know what, I got to get somebody to handle the sales calls. And I'm sitting there thinking that is going to blow up in your face. <laughs> you're laughing. I, I assume you, you've seen it happen. You've, you've witnessed the explosion. And it's, I've witnessed the explosion, man. I'm so glad you brought this up because it's one of the things that it, it, it boggles my mind all the time, right? I'm so glad you, you've had the same experience and I'm not crazy where you get CEOs who start to experience growth and instead of delegating the things that they don't love and aren't great at, administration, operations, finance, whatever, they do the really smart move and I, I get it, but of delegating the things that they do love and are great at. Because there's a trust level to it. Those things are really like, ah, I don't know if anybody else can do it as well as I do. Yeah, there are people who can. But it, it is interesting, man. We, we, we talk to clients about that a lot where they're trying to delegate things that they love to do and are great at when really the, the key, I think, as you grow is continuing to find the things that you're truly great at, which most entrepreneurs are pretty decent at selling and marketing what they do. And focusing on those things and then building a team around the things that you don't love to do and aren't great at. Well, so let's unpack that for a second because I, I think it's a, a key point. I see a lot of people get just totally turned around with this. And it, it's almost as if there are, is a part to sales that they really, really like. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they don't see themselves as a professional salesperson, right? But they really like dealing with people usually. If you're an entrepreneur, you kind of have to do that. And they probably like dealing with the clients and helping them through their problems, which is all a sales role as far as I can tell. But they they can't stand all of the other junk that goes on in and around it. And I, to me, that's the perfect place to plug in this idea of the executive administrator. Mm. Um, I would love for you to unpack that that role a little bit. So if, if, if uh, you know, we're 
we're sitting down with one of our listeners right now and we're kind of like coaching them through this process. How would you begin to describe to them what that person looks like? I mean, is it as simple as an assistant or is it more than that? You know, give us a picture. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think it is possibly one of the most misunderstood roles in in a company's growth. And some of that is just due to uh, misinformation, bad information, and a lot of uh, kind of, I think, duct tape fixes to more broader problems that exist on the market. And so let me be clear. I love outsourcing, right? I love virtual assistants. I love, I love assistants, right? I have an assistant. The, all of those things can be very, very helpful in the right context and container. But if you look at truly successful companies, right, really, really successful companies, there's this unique function called the executive administrator. And it's not the same thing as just hiring an assistant, especially not just hiring, you know, a per hour VA, right, somewhere, uh, you know, overseas. It is essentially what I call the two people, one job model. At least in the early stages of company, this is how it looks. So let's say the executive administrator is your first leadership team hire. What you're essentially doing is you're not hiring someone to assist you. You're hiring someone to administrate for you. And those are very, very important distinctions because if you hire an assistant, you have to constantly come up with tasks to delegate to that person. And then hopefully you do a good job delegating them. Okay. With an executive administrator, what we instead want to do is give them ownership of the administrative function of the company, which is very, very different. And when we clearly define that up front, you're not actually delegating that much to that person on the day-to-day. You, now, you might be. There's some things that come up, of course, administratively. But this person functionally is doing, you and them are doing the same job with different functions. So everything high-level, strategic, you know, long-term focus that you do, because you guys are the executive team right now, that's the yin side of the equation, and the entrepreneur does that. And the yang side of the equation is completely handled by the executive administrator. Now that morphs and evolves just a, a bit as your leadership team grows and evolves, but the same concept is true, right? It's that yin and yang, you know, balance that you have. And so it's two, two people doing one job and it literally two times the capacity of the leadership and management capability for the company. So a lot of, a lot of, entrepreneurs that I know, as you've talked about, Steve, we were talking about this before the show. They say like, well, I just feel like I'm putting out fires all the time. I'm always putting out fires. I'm just putting out fires and putting out fires. Usually the fires they're talking about is all the administrative junk, as you put it, which proves that you're an entrepreneur, that you called it junk. (laughs) (laughs) One man's junk is another man's treasure, right? Because some people love to do that stuff and they're great at it. Yeah, they do. We just don't want to do it. We're not great at it. (laughs) Right. And so, um, so it, it's it's so fascinating to me because that is what it feels like to a lot of entrepreneurs. And it feels like fires, but to other people, it feels like, it feels life-giving to, to be able to solve problems for other people. That's amazing to them. And so what we try to do is find that person who has that yang to the yin, get them to fully own everything that you do, and then just take responsibility for anything administrative associated with it. They also become the filter for, for how things arrive on your desk. Like, so in an ideal world, the executive administrator is taking off 50 to 60% of stuff that's coming at you before it even com- comes in front of you. You don't even know about it. And some people that freaks them out. 
doesn't freak me out as long as I have a trusted person, right? And I, I can only make so many decisions in a day, right? Jeff Be- Bezos says his job is to make like one key decision a day. So, I mean, we can learn from that, right? It's like one good decision, one key strategic decision a day, right? And then everything else, man, let somebody else who who, who is good at that handle it. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, and, you know, I've experienced it um, in, in the first business uh, that I owned, uh, we hired a, uh, we called her the CFO, uh, but we hired her out of college and she was super smart and came in and really quickly got the business. Um, but not only handled some of the financial functions, but handled all of that administrative stuff. And it was just amazing. You know, I could take a two week vacation and come back and things were better than when I left. <laughs> didn't have to check in, didn't check email, you know, any of that. So, and recently in, in this business, I've just hired somebody effectively in that role. It is life-changing. I'm, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm glad you you described it that way. It, it absolutely is. So somebody's listening to this. They go, okay, I need that. I want to go get that. Like, what does that person look like? Mm-hmm. How do you know that you're going after the right thing? Mm, this is a really good question. Um, so it brings me back to the yin-yang analogy because... I just think it's so helpful. And if you've ever looked at that symbol, I'm not super big into, uh, you know, Eastern culture. I'm not like a guru by any means. But if you look at the symbol, right, you have opposite colors on the halves. And then you have the core is the color of the other side, right? So the way I always say it is very different on the outside, same at the core, right? Very different on the outside, very different in skill sets and personality, same at the core when it comes to core values, and what we, what we ultimately want, right? What we ultimately want. So there's two things I'd be looking at, right? So the first thing that I'm kind of like an evangelist for, for entrepreneurs, is that as long as you get the right raw materials, skills can be trained so much more than we think they can be. But it is so difficult to change people's values and culture and what, what internally drives them. And so for entrepreneurs, I think one of the most important things to understand is that there are people who excel at this already, have the skills, excel at this, and are even professionally trained. You don't necessarily need someone professionally trained, but professionally trained in this. What they're looking for is why should they be a part of your company? Why should they help you grow? And to me, the, the, the strongest way to get the attention of those kind of people is via what I call a weaponized vision, right? A clear vision for your company and set of values that you hold to as well as a strategic plan to get there that is compelling to a talented person who's looking to contribute to something. So, you know, one of the recent studies that came out, you know, there's there's kind of two interesting things. One is the reason why people leave jobs, I think it's like over 80% of the time is because of leadership and a lack of, there's a lot of terms around it, but essentially it's like lack of vision, right? Lack of growth opportunity or whatever. And then on the flip side, the number one reason people will choose to work one place over another or leave one job for another is essentially it's not compensation. So interesting when you look at the marketplace. It's actually feeling like they're able to use their gifts and talents in a way that's, that meaningfully contributes or makes an impact, right? So I think as an entrepreneur, this is the only thing we have going for us in recruiting, but it is a big competitive advantage if we leverage it. So a lot of things we don't have, the big health benefit plans and the, you know, whatever. We do have the ability to cast a compelling vision. 
and create a great culture however we want it to be as an entrepreneurial company. And so I think the more we can weaponize that vision and and wield it well, we can actually get talent interested and potentially we've seen with our clients even get them to to leave jobs where they're very secure and come work for our clients sometimes for less money in the short term because they see the opportunity to grow and be a part of a great culture and contribute to a great vision. So that's the first thing I would say, what what are you looking for? I think actually the more important thing that you're looking for is being same at the core, sharing your values and actually being committed to that vision. And I'm I'm sorry, Steve, I know I'm going to, I'm ranting a little bit here, but (laughs) I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I talk to who are so worried about people. If I hire people, what if they leave? If I hire people, what if they don't stay? If I hire people, what if I can't? What if they don't aren't a good ROI? And they're they're almost they're talking like this weird robot speaks. Money, money, money. And it's like the same reason that somebody will leave your company is why they came to your company. Okay, so if somebody comes to your company just for the money, the reason they'll leave is because they find somewhere else they can go make more money. Okay. So if that's the only leverage you have, you are screwed as an entrepreneur. No question. So get just get out of that game and learn how to become a great leader and CEO who casts a compelling vision. And as long as you have a great vision that you're moving towards and a great culture, if you attract people around that, that is why they will stay. Yeah. I my experience has been hundred percent in alignment with that. I'm sitting here thinking about the first business that I built. And we were a tiny little company. I mean, I was the 10th employee when I got there out of college and and four years later, I took over as CEO and we used, I love your term, weaponized vision, you know, and we used that and we would, we, we used it in two ways. We used it in sales pretty effectively. Um, Mm. In fact, beating pretty large national competitors on a consistent basis. But we also used it to go get the lion's share of the talent at, in mm-hmm. what was at the time a hyper-competitive market for the very niche-specific type of people that we needed. There were only, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of dozen produced in the country in, in, in any given year, and we would go get three or four of them. Mm-hmm. And and as you're talking about, it, like that was the secret. Like we we were able to tell them a, a story that was so much more interesting to them that, you know, they wanted to work for us, you know, and I love that you shared that. I mean, to me, that is such a game changer. And, uh, and for particularly for a small company where you don't have, you know, endless buckets of money to throw at people, um, Mm -hmm. you don't have, you know, the fancy benefit packages and all of that. This can be so much more compelling for people and so much more exciting and interesting, and you're going to get the better people. Because what I've found is the better people are more motivated mm. by the, you know, the vision that you're throwing out there. So um, thank you for sharing that. I think that's, that's really, really key. So we've, we've cast the vision, you know, we kind of know who we're going after. You've gone out there, you've, you've found that first person and now we got them inside the company. Like, what, what do we do? Like, I'm an <laughs> entrepreneur. I'm used to doing everything. Like, old habits and bad habits die hard. Yeah, man. They do. Um, except for if you you make a plan in advance. See, most most entrepreneurs, the problem is they they see the hire as the solution. When the hire is not not a solution, right? The delegation is the solution. And you can hire someone and very much not delegate to them, 
right? Not empower them. And some of our audience, that's actually what they're truly scared of. It's why they don't go hire someone. It's because they know they're like, man, I don't, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. How am I going to give them this? And some of that is just fear and butterflies. You just got to get over that and, and just do it and, and, and figure it out. Some of it is valid. And here's a couple things that you know I would recommend entrepreneurs do in order to not just hire someone, but delegate, truly delegate to someone. So the first one's a little high level. It's mindset, okay? But first of all, you're going to have to put to death your inner control freak, all right? I, I have a mentor of mine who, who used to say, you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both. And uh, <laughs> I just think that saying is so, so prescient for this transition in a company. Because it just by the way, you can still be in charge and not have control. And those are different things. So, so you can stay in charge, get reports, ha- have accountability, have systems, hold, hold people to be their best, review them, right? And, and not, not be in control. And what I find for a lot of entrepreneurs is there's mindset stuff that they have to overcome that is, is actually the root cause of why they don't delegate. Because they, they think deep down that they're the only one that they can truly do it the way it needs to be done. Or they're, that, and that's what I call your inner control freak, right? You got to put that guy to death a little bit. You just, and some of you, it's just putting it to death is just going to be doing it and going, I know I'm going to have to die daily to this part of myself until it becomes normal. <laughs> um, where it's like, it's like, man, I can have control or I can have growth. I choose growth. And so what that means is, Somebody else can do this if they can even do it 80% or in the beginning, 60 to 70% as well as I do. That's good enough. And then I will coach them. And over time, as I coach them, they'll actually do it better than you do. They actually will. And, and I've seen this time and time and time and time again, as long as we hire great caliber people. So I think the first thing from a mindset level is like, just put your inner control freak to death. Know that it's going to be a process. Um, you're going to have to do some coaching but you have to let go of control. You have to let go of control and actually not just give people tasks and projects, give them responsibility and authority. And that's different, right? Give them responsibility and authority. Um, Hold them accountable to metrics and outcomes and let them develop by figuring out how to achieve those metrics and outcomes, even if it's not exactly the way you would do it, right? Um, So I think that's number one. Should we stop there? Because there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, there is a lot to unpack there. I mean, I think the first thing is just getting, you know, getting to the point where you can begin to let go of some things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're absolutely right. The, you know, the task that someone else can do, fifty percent, sixty percent, eighty percent, whatever it is, and you're not involved at least in that percentage of it is immensely valuable to you because, mm. you know, if you set this up the right way, they're probably still going to come and report back in the early mm. days. You're going to see that before. I mean, the big fear is, uh, you know, for people, particularly in, in, you know, client businesses that you're going to let something out of the barn, you know, mm-hmm. a mistake will get out. Sometimes those can, I mean, those can harm people or they can be seriously costly, you know, mm. and my, my first business was an engineering company. I mean, we had this this rule that, you know, we, we can't allow a mistake out the front door uh, because if we did and and that thing went and got built wrong, you know, it, it could be tens of thousands of dollars. It could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, and, um, and so you got to have that confidence. But 
you can get, you can put checks and balances in place. Mm. You know, my experience in that first company, I think really proves it. We would take kids out of college and I was the first one. We would take kids right out of college, didn't know anything mm. and immediately put them um, into situations where they were working on active live projects where things were going to be built based on the work that they did, you know, like roads, not, not trivial things like roads, buildings, houses. Um, you know, we did a, at one point four miles of a, a water main you could walk through. The utility company told us it was the largest storage facility for fresh water in the County. I mean, not insignificant things. And if you mess something like that up, you know, literally it could be millions of dollars. And yet we had these kids doing it. And that was because we knew where the failure points were and we put the right checks and balances in place. And we let them go do the thing that they could from day one that they could do. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, um, you got to just do it. I love the way you just said that. Just, you got to just do it and you get then put the right guardrails in place. It's not that scary. Well, and I think, man, the bigger, the, the mindset that you just identified that you are operating in, in your company was as a CEO, which I think that there's two ways to make decisions from fear or from vision. And what we have to train ourselves to do is make decisions from vision, not from fear. And sometimes you, the actions between fear and vision might look very similar, but the outcomes are different. So in this case, for a lot of entrepreneurs, making a decision from fear would be like, well, I'll hire someone, but I'm just still going to keep all of this very close to the chest. From vision, it might be like, I'm going to give them authority and responsibility, but then I'm going to invest my time to coach them until they can do it better than I can. And so one is kind of like passive and one is active, right? One is intentional. And, uh, and I think that's what's really important as you step into that role of, of CEO and start to build out this team that can actually lead and manage things without you. Yeah, w- without a doubt, without a doubt. So if we kind of follow this journey along, the entrepreneur has put this person in place. They've started delegating and they're kind of going along. What's the next roadblock that they run into? Like they're, they're just going along thinking this is working great. And then they hit a brick wall. What happens? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I've seen for a lot of entrepreneurs, I'll just say is they reach a certain point of success and they may have even started to build a leadership team. And they've been working hard for years. And uh, one of, I mean, I guess just honestly, point blank, man, I feel like I watch a lot of entrepreneurs somewhere between year three and year seven or eight in their journey get tired and bored. And I think in those moments, there's like two sort of viable pathways. And then there's some really bad ones, not, not viable in my opinion. We won't talk about the bad ones today, but... I think the two pathways, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, and maybe you have even started to build a leadership team, um, but you're tired and bored. If, you, if you're honest with yourself, you're like, I'm tired. I'm kind of tired of this business. I'm tired of the, the same things. And then I'm kind of bored. I'm just, I want to do something new. I'm, I'm getting restless, which is very common for entrepreneurs. My, my, my advice to you would be this, e- either to deal with the tired part, you may have just run yourself into the ground and require some serious sabbatical. Um, And this is why it's so critical to build that leadership team so that you can actually take a month off, right? Take, take, take an extended period off and, and reset 
And then what I would do with some of that time, some of that time, you should just hang out with your family and go to Mexico or, you know, whatever. Some of that time, you really quite honestly need to reevaluate what, what your vision is as an entrepreneur, right? What do you want? What's your legacy? What impact do you want to make in the world? What do you want to build? And for some entrepreneurs, they'll exit that season with a new fire for their existing company. And, and, and there's a new vision for them to cast and they step right back into that visionary CEO role and they bring that charge back to the company of like, this is where we're going. We're going to take over and revolutionize our industry. We're going to dominate this new market sector. We're going to, you know, do this new thing to serve our client base like nobody else is doing, you know, whatever that may be. And, and I, I really hope and play a lot of entrepreneurs will choose that path because I think so, too many people burn out and lose their vision way too early on. It's like, man, you could build something really great if you just stuck with it for longer. Entrepreneurs have a hard time kind of sticking with it, I think, sometimes. Um, and I mean, I don't mean they just passively kind of go along. A lot of people do that. But I mean, actually pursuing a vision over an extended period, 10 to 25 years, you know, you can do, most people way overestimate what you can do in a year, way underestimate what they can do in 10. And so I, I think that's just worth saying. And then the second thing I would say, the second viable route is if you get clear on your vision and you're like, my vision is really something different than what I'm doing right now. I actually don't want to keep building this company. I want to sell this thing or I want to make it passive, you know, have it be a passive thing. All the more reason to build that leadership team um, outside of yourself so that you can go do the thing that you really love and want to do. Start a new venture, you know, write a book, go mentor, build a nonprofit. It depends on you and what you what really fires you up. But you still have to do the work to build that self-managing leadership team and create that vision so that you can actually separate yourself uh, from the day-to-day and kind of get get out of the, of the day-to-day, so to speak. So I think that's a big one. I'm not sure if that's what you were looking for. Maybe that's even a little ahead of where, where, we, where we were on the journey. But I've just noticed so many entrepreneurs hit that tired and bored phase and they don't really know how to get out of that loop. And so that, that's kind of the two viable pathways uh, in my mind. Oh, I, I think it's incredibly common. Um, I, look, it's hard to do. It's hard to do what we do. It's hard to run a business, to have all of that responsibility. You're the one that that puts energy into the business. Um, no one else gets excited about it unless you're excited about it. And that, that takes a lot of energy um, mm. over time. Uh, it certainly can wear you down. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's a big part of it, but man, the boredom is huge because mm-hmm. I see this a lot where people just, especially entrepreneurs, we were talking before we started recording about the Colby index and, mm-hmm. you know, sharing that we were both eight quick starts. Right. So, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Colby, you should definitely go check it out. Uh, but, um, an eight quick start means that, uh, I've never met a new idea that I wasn't in love with. <laughs> and I have about a thousand of them a day, <laughs> you know? And so for me to like, I'll walk down the street and have an idea for a new business and it'll be the grandest thing ever by the time I get to the next mailbox, if I'm taking a walk in the neighborhood, you know? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through that because you can see opportunity the way that a lot of people don't, you can see opportunity everywhere, particularly mm-hmm. as you get better at it. And so it's a real danger. To, to get bored with the business. Um, I, to me, that is the, that's one of the most important reasons to do what you're advocating here because the entrepreneur who's really good at seeing those opportunities and who might be prone to get, getting bored, if they've built 
business number one with a solid self-managing leadership team, they can actually elevate to the position of investor. Mm -hmm. And then they can go and be an entrepreneur again and go through all the fun and the excitement and the struggle of, of starting the next one while business number one is doing just fine and growing all on its own, you know? So there's a lot of reasons to do what you're talking about here. Mm. Uh, I have a question for you though. For a lot of folks listening, they're going to have, they're going to have a business that they're delivering a service, probably a professional service. They probably are the ones that started it. So Mm. they're kind of the face of the business. What's your advice to somebody who's listening to this going, okay, yeah, this is all really great, except that the clients all want me. Mm, Yeah. It's a great question. And actually, Steve, I don't know if you guys know this, but for the the very beginning of our company, the first year, maybe a year and a half, two years, we only worked with professional service businesses just because this this problem was so common, right, for them. And 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 it wasn't really like anybody was addressing it. Most of the things out on the market were just kind of like, hey, here's how to become more efficient within the existing professional services model. And we're kind of like, no, that's not how you build a business. <laughs> That's just a bad way to build a business in general. Like, um, and so it, this is especially especially common and difficult in that space. But one of the things I would say is I, I read a book recently, and it, it's a fantastic book that I'd recommend to any professional services business called Built to Sell uh, by John Warlow. And one of the uh, one of the quotes that really stood out to me, and I had our leadership team read it, and then we gave it to like all of our clients. We like sent it to all of them. We're like, go read this. This is a great book. Is that essentially your job as a business owner is to define what process and system best serves your clients, not to allow them to define it for you, right? And most people will go, well, in my industry, forget about your industry for a second, okay? It's your job. Again, it's that entrepreneur to CEO mentality. It's your job as the CEO to define the rules of engagement, how you best, your proven process to get the best results for all of your clients. And I can guarantee you the best way to do that is not dependent on you, no matter how skilled and talented you are. So your clients don't define the rules of engagement. They just don't. You do via your proven process. And then I think that allows you to actually build a business, not a practice, build a business um, that has a proven process that serves a, you know, a specific perfect patron who has a painful problem that you have a proven process to help solve and uh, and then as a result of that, I think it gives you the ability to step outside of common industry constraints and actually build a systemized business that has a leadership team that has scalability um, and isn't isn't dependent on you. Again, there's mindset shifts inherent in that that I think are more difficult to make, uh, where you were kind of trained to be a professional service provider not a business owner. And so you have to sort of untrain that mentality and go, do I want to be a service provider or do I want to be a business owner? Well, if I want to be a business owner, I have to put my CEO hat on and change the way I think about my business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's a fantastic way to approach it. Well, we've been at this for uh, coming up on an hour here soon. And as much as I'd like to keep going for a long time, um, I know that... uh, we both have other uh, commitments. Before we we finish, um, I want to give you a chance to to really cover two things. First is if there's anything we've left out that's important, please um, you know give us that. 
Um, and then the other is I want to make sure people can understand how you help and, and where they can find you and all of that. So um, those, those are, the, I think, the two critical things we need to cover before we wrap up. Yeah, so as far as what we didn't cover, um, man, I think we covered so much ground today that my my passionate plea would be do not be a hearer only, but a doer. Um, so, so like, don't just hear this because uh, the most convenient time to change is always tomorrow. And so my passionate plea would just be to anyone listening who you know that today struck a chord, go implement something today. Like go take what we talked about today and go, hey, even if it's something as simple as going, you know, you're going to put something on your desk that says like, you know, show up as the CEO today, you know, not as a service provider or something like implement something that's going to help you take that next step into stepping into the role of a CEO. For some of you, that literally might be, you're going to go home and write a job description for, for the first time, uh, you know, for an executive administrator. Um, you go, that's what I need or a COO or a president or whatever. And, and you just take that next step to begin to build a self-managing leadership team that can truly give you back your time freedom. And, uh, and, and allow you to do more of what you love. And then as far as how people can reach out to us and kind of how we might be able to help someone who, who wants some guidance on the journey we talked about today, essentially what, you know, kind of our proven process is designed to do is to help visionary entrepreneurs recruit and train a self-managing leadership team that gives them back time freedom to focus on growth as the CEO. And so the way we do that here at Unleash CEO is, is, is pretty simple. One, we, we help you weaponize that vision we talked about. We do that via um, you know, really in-depth strategic planning to make sure we understand where we're headed, who's the team we need to get there, and what are the key gaps and bottlenecks that we need to address. From there, we, if you decide to move forward with us, we, we engage our amazing A-player recruiting team that's going to help you use every measure possible to find that exact person. We also have, I think, the largest network on the planet of those types of people already curated and on demand, on tap for our clients that are trained in some of our processes and systems to play that executive role within a company. We, we home grow and develop those people in advance for our clients. And then, you know, once we, we place someone with you, we'll actually work with you and them to train both of you on how to work together as a cohesive self-managing leadership team that allows you to effectively delegate, not just tasks and projects, but authority and responsibility to that person, which is what's going to truly free you up. Um, and as far as contacting us, you can just go to unleash.ceo. That's our website, no.com, just unleash.ceo. Uh, and if you'd like a free training on kind of how our process works, uh, as well as some free tools on how to recruit and train that leadership team, you can go to go.unleash.ceo slash register. That's go.unleash.ceo slash register, um, which I'm sure you can find somewhere in relation to this podcast. And we have a, a free training and some resources there for you to help you take that first step on building your self-managing leadership team. Perfect. We'll get all that stuff linked up in the show notes so everybody can can find it really easily. Um, Richard, this has been fantastic. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I think this is a really important topic for uh, entrepreneurs to, to be thinking about and be acting on. So uh, thank you so much for investing some time with me today. That was a pleasure, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. Here are three ways you can expand your authority. Number one, get a copy of the Million Dollar Book. In it, I show you how to multiply your authority by writing a best-selling book in less than 90 days guaranteed. After all, you're the best spokesperson for your ideas. Go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash book and get your copy. 
Number two, join me for an upcoming Write Your Million Dollar Book Accelerator and let's jumpstart your authority building book now. For upcoming dates, go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash accelerator. And number three, work with me and my team to get your book done and bringing in business. Email me at steve at authoritybuilderpodcast.com and put, I want to write a book in the subject line. See you soon.